and welcome to My Favorite Theorem. This is a podcast about math where we invite a mathematician in each episode to tell us about their favorite theorem. Um, I'm one of your hosts, Evelyn Lamb. I'm a freelance math and science writer in Salt Lake City, Utah. And this is your other host. Hi, I'm Kevin Knudsen, professor of mathematics at the University of Florida. I'm excited about this one. Yes, I'm very excited. I'm too excited to do any uh, banter. So we're coming yeah. up on our uh, one year anniversary and we are very honored today to have a special guest. Um, she is a professor at Duke. She has gotten a MacArthur Fellowship um, won many prizes. I was just reading her Wikipedia page and there are too many to list. So we're very happy to have Ingrid Dobshi on the show. Um, hi, Ingrid. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, hi, Evelyn and Kevin. Uh, sure. I have just uh, come back from uh, spending several months in Belgium, in Brussels. Mm -hmm. uh, I had arranged to have a sabbatical there to uh, be close to and help set up arrangements for my uh, uh, very elderly parents. Mm. Uh, but I also was involved in a number of, of, of fun things uh, uh, like the annual uh, uh, high school uh, contest for high school students, uh, oh, cool. encouraging them to uh, major in mathematics once mm -hmm. they go get to college. Uh, and uh, my because this is the year I turned 64, and 64 is a, a much more special number than 60. For my, <laughs> uh, my students had arranged to uh, organize some festivities, which we held in a conference center in my native village. Uh, oh, that's and fantastic. A lot of fun. We had a, a family and friends. Uh, uh, we, we opted to have a family and friends activity rather than a, a conference where we tried to get the highest possible collection of, of, of big name marquee. Mm. And, and uh, it, I enjoyed it hugely. And uh, we, I had a big party in Belgium uh, where I invited via Facebook everybody who ever crossed my, my timeline. So I was people who... I went to high school with. There was a professor who taught me linear algebra. I mean, uh, oh, so wow. it, it was really a lot of fun. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, and uh, you have also been uh, president of the International Mathematical Union. I meant to say that at the beginning and forgot. Um, <laughs> and so that is also very exciting. And yes. yeah, I, I think while you were president, you probably don't remember this, but we met at a conference and I was trying to talk to you about something and was very anxious because my grandfather had just gone to the hospital and uh -huh. um, I was, you know, I, I really couldn't think about anything else. Oh. And I remember how kind you were to me during that and just, you know, really, uh, I think you were talking about your parents as well. Yeah. And um, I was just thinking, wow, I'm talking to the president of the International Mathematical Union, and all I can think about is my grandpa, and she is being wow. so nice to me. So, well, of course, I mean, this is so important. I mean, we we are people. We are yeah. we are connected to other people around us. I mean, and, and that is a big part of our life. I mean, even if we're mathematicians. But we are we have you on the show today to talk about theorems. So. Yeah. What is your favorite theorem? 
Well, <laughs> I, of course, can't say that I have one particular favorite theorem. I mean, there's so many beautiful theorems. And uh, right now, I, I have learned very recently, and actually, uh, I'm ashamed to, to, to confess how recently, because it's a theorem that many people learn in kindergarten, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 a theorem that's called Tutte's Embedding Theorem, mm. uh, about uh, uh, graphs, meshes in my mm -hmm. case it's triangular mesh and the fact that you can embed it meaning defining a, a map to a polygon in the plane uh, without having any of the vertices cross so really an embedding of the whole graph so that every triangle on the complicated mesh that you had it's a it's a, a disk type mesh meaning mm -hmm. it has no holes it has a, a boundary mm -hmm. uh, lots of triangles but you can think of it as a complicated thing uh, and and you can embed it in under certain conditions in in a convex poly uh, a polygon in the plane and, uh, and I really really love that I mean I visualize it by thinking of it as a, a complicated shape and applying a hairdryer to it to kind of <laughs> by saran wrap yeah right and i i, I a hairdryer will kind of flatten it nicely and uh, will try to flatten it and the fact that you can always do it i think is a great uh, and we're using it for for some uh, interesting actually we are extending it to uh, mappings to the, the theorem is originally formulated for a convex uh, a polygon in the plane mm -hmm. that you can always map to a convex polygon in the plane and uh, uh, we are extending it to the case where you have a non-convex polygon because that's what we need mm. and then you have certain conditions. Sure well there have to be some conditions right because certainly not every graph that you or every mesh that you would draw is planar yeah um, so, so what, what are those conditions? It has to be uh, three connected and you define a, uh, a set of weights on it, uh, on, on, on the edges, mm -hmm. that, uh, so that, insert, that, insert, that ensure planar, planarity. Okay. I mean, uh, so you, de you define weights on the edges that are uh, all positive. And, and so what, what happens is that you, once you have it in, in the polygon, you mm -hmm. can write each one of the uh, vertices as a convex combination of its neighbors mm -hmm. yeah because uh and so those define your weights and so what you have is you have to find a, a you have to have a set of weights on 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 the edges mm -hmm. on your original graph that will make that possible okay so uh so you have uh, you define weights on the original graph that that help you in the embedding mm -hmm. and um what happens is that the, the the positive weights and these you then use for that convexity. So you 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 have these these positive weights and you use them to make this convex embedding. And uh, uh, so it's it's a theorem that just doesn't tell you only that it is planar, but it gives you a mechanism for building mm -hmm. that map to the plane. Uh, that's really the power of the theorem. Mm -hmm. uh, so you 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 start already with something that you know is planar and you build that okay. map okay. plane. But it's really powerful. It's used a lot by people in computer graphics mm -hmm. uh, because they, they, they then can reason on that embedding in the plane to build other things 
and to apply them back to the original mesh they had in three space uh, for the, 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 the complicated object they had. And, uh, and, and that's also what we were trying to use it for. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, and we, but we like the idea of going to uh, non-convex polygons because that for certain of the applications we have will give us much less deformation. Mm -hmm. So uh, is this related to, I, I know that you've done some work with um, art uh, reconstruction yeah. in actually in the back of, of the video here, I see some pictures, I think of oh. some art that you have helped, uh, <laughs> reconstruct. It, mm -hmm. So is it related to that work? Uh, it's, it's, it's actually, it isn't. Although if at some point we go to 3D objects rather than, than paintings, what we're doing now, it might become useful. I don't know. But uh, uh, right now, what uh, this, this collaboration is with biologists where we, uh, we're trying to, uh, well, we, we have been working for several years and, and gotten good results on a quantifying similarity of morphological surfaces. So the people we work with are people who work on bones and teeth. They're paleontologists. I mean, they're, well, they, they're interested in evolutionary anthropology, but they work a lot with teeth and bones. And uh, there is a lot of, of uh, when, of, of domain knowledge they have because they've seen so many and they remember things and and but they of course in order to do uh, 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 science with it they need to quantify how similar or dissimilar things are and they have many many methods for doing that uh, and we're trying to work with them to try to automatify automate uh, some of these these methods um, in ways that they find useful and in ways that they seek mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, and and we've we've gotten very good results in 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 in, in this uh, uh, over the many years that we've worked with them, and we're very excited about uh, uh, recent progress we've made. But in in doing that, uh, we the surfaces already for their studies get scanned and uh, triangulated. And so they have these three D triangulations in space, mm -hmm. and uh, they because they work. You, you when you work with with these these organs and and muscles and 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 all these things in biology, usually you have three D shapes, and you, in many instances, you have them voxelized, meaning you have the three D thing. But because they work with fossils, which often they cannot borrow from the place where mm -hmm. this precious fossil is, is, they take they work with casts of those in very uh, high quality resin. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, when they bring the cast back, they have the surface very accurately, but they don't have the three D structure. So we work oh. with the surfaces, and that's why we work with these three D meshes of surfaces. And we then have to quantify, quantize how, how close or similar or dissimilar things are. And not just the whole thing, but also pieces of it. We have to find ways in which to segment these in biologically meaningful ways. This embedding theorem comes in useful. But it's been very interesting to try to build mathematically a structure that will embody a lot of uh, how biologists work. I mean, traditionally what they did, what they do is uh, because they know so much about the collection of things they study is they find landmarks. So they have this whole collection. They see all these things have this particular thing in common. It looks different and so on. But this landmark point that we mark digitally on these 
scanned surfaces is the same point in all of them. Okay. And this other point is the same. So they mark landmarks, maybe 20 landmarks. Mm -hmm. And then you can use that to define a mapping. But uh, they asked us, could we possibly do this landmark free at some point? And many biologists scoffed at the idea. How could mm -hmm. you even do this? And in the beginning, of course, we couldn't. I mean, we could find distances that were not so different from theirs, but the landmarks were not in the right places. But we then started realizing, look, why do they have this immense knowledge? Because they have seen so many more than just the 20 that they're now studying. Mm -hmm. And so we realized that this is something where we should look at many collections. Mm -hmm. And and there we have found this was a, a student of mine who made a breakthrough. We, if you start from a mapping between, so you have many surfaces and you have a first way of mapping one to the other and then defining a similarity or not, depending on how faithful the mapping is. Uh, all these mappings are kind of wrong, not quite right. But because you have the large collection, there are so many little mistakes that are made that if you look, if you have a way of looking at it all, you can view those mistakes as, well, the errors in a, a, a data set. Mm -hmm. And you can try to cancel them out. You can try to through all all or you can try to, to separate the, the grains from, from from the chaff. I mean you can you can get to, to, to get the essence of what is in there. A little bit like students will learn when they uh, have a mentor who tells them no, that point is not really what you think it because and so on. And uh, so that's what we do now. We have large collections, we have initial mappings that are not perfect, and we use the fact that we have the large collection to define then from that large collection using machine learning tools mm -hmm. a much better mapping. And the biologists have been really, really impressed by how much better the mappings are once we do that. Mm -hmm. And so the, 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 the wonderful thing is that we use this framework, we use uh, of course, we use machine learning tools. We use all this computer graphics and, and dealing with surfaces to be efficient. But we use uh, we we frame we frame it as as a, a fiber bundle, and uh, we learn. I mean, because if you think of it, every single one. If we look at the large collection of two teeth, mm -hmm. all these teeth differ by little bits, and we want to learn the structure of this set of teeth. Mm -hmm. But every tooth is a two D surface. And similarly, mm -hmm. we map to each other. And so they're all fibers. Mm -hmm. And we have a connection. And we learn that connection. We have a very noisy version of the connection. But because we know it's a connection, and because it's a connection that should be uh, flat, because things can be brought back to their common ancestor. And so so going from A to B and B to C should, should be, uh, uh, it should not matter in what order you go, because all these mappings can go to the common ancestor, and so it should kind of commute. We can really get things out. And so we have been able to, to use that in order to build correspondences that biologists are now using for their statistical analysis. So, so differential geometry for biology. Yes. Discrete differential geometry, which is if there is an oxymoron, yeah. then... <laughs> wow. 
and uh, and so uh, I, I I like so we have a team that has uh, biologists that has people who are differential geometers. We have a computational geometer, and he was telling me, you know, for this particular piece of it, it would be really useful if we had a generalization of Tata's theorem to non-convex poly uh, uh, polygons. And I said, well, what's Tata's theorem? And so I learned that last week, and that's why it's today my favorite theorem. <laughs> oh, wow. That's really neat. <laughs> okay. So we'll follow up with you next year and see what your favorite theorem yeah. is then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it sounds like a really neat collaborative um, environment there where everybody has their own special knowledge that they're bringing to the table. Yes. And actually, I, I, uh, I have found that to be very, very stimulating uh, in, in, in my whole career. Uh, I, I like working with other people. I like when they give you challenges and so on. I like feeling my brain at work. I mean, but working together with, with their different expertise. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it, well, um, once you, you know, you've seen a couple of these collaborations at work, you, you get a kind of a feel of, of how do you jumpstart something like that? How do you manage to get people talking about the problems they have and, and, and kind of, of brainstorm until a few problems get isolated on which we really can then start to, to, to get our teeth dug in and, and, and work on it. And, and that itself is a dynamic you have to learn. Um, I'm, I'm sure there are uh, social scientists who know much more about this than them. But in, in my limited setting, I, I, I have, I now, I now have some experience in starting these things up, and uh, and so my students and postdoc participate, and and some of them have become good at at, at propagating this. Mm. It's it's my I, I'm very motivated by the fact that you can do applications of mathematics that are really non-trivial and you can get distill non-trivial problems out of what people think are mundane applications mm -hmm. uh, and but it takes some investing to get there uh, because usually the, the people who have the application like the biologists in my case they of course don't have the vocabulary they didn't say we have this very particular fibre bundle problem i mean mm -hmm. uh, right uh, so and in fact it, it, it took my, it's my student who then realized that we really had a fiber bundle and that helped define uh, a machine learning problem differently than it had been before mm -hmm. that then led to i mean so to to interesting results so so you you need all the background you need the uh, the, the sense of adventure of trying to build tools in that background that might be useful and uh, and I'm convinced that for some of the tools that we build, uh, when more pure mathematicians learn about them, they might distill things in their world from what we need, and and it this will this can lead to more pure mathematics sure. ultimately. Big feedback loop. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what I believe in very very strongly. Mm -hmm. And so. Uh, but but part of my life is is going through to I mean being open to when I hear about things and and wondering is is there a meaningful mathematical way to frame this, mm -hmm. not just be, for the fun of it, but would it help? Yeah, well, as I mentioned, I was amazed by the way you've used math for this art reconstruction. Yes. Um, 
I think I saw a talk or an article you wrote about that and it was just fascinating things that mm -hmm. I would never have thought would be applicable to that sphere. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and again, it's the case that that there's a whole lot of of of, of knowledge we have that could be applicable. And uh, in, in, in that particular case, I have found that it's a wonderful way to get undergraduates involved because uh, they, they, at the same time, learn these tools of image processing and, and small uh, uh, machine learning tools, uh, working on these wonderful images. I mean, how much cooler is it to work on, on uh, the Ghent altarpiece or, or, or even less famous artwork than to work on standards of, of, of image analysis. So that has been uh, 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 a lot of fun. And actually, uh, as I was in, in, in Belgium, the, the first event of, of the week of celebration we had was uh, uh, an image, uh, an IP4 AI, which is Im image processing for art investigation workshop. Uh, it, it's really over the last 10, 15 years, that as, is a, as a community is taking off and we're trying to, uh, to, to have this series of workshops where we have people who are interested in image processing and in, in the mathematics and the engineering of that talk to people who have concrete problems in art conservation or uh, uh, understanding art, art uh, uh, history and we try to have these workshops in museums and, and we had it at, at a, a museum in Ghent and uh, again was, was very, very stimulating and exhilarating. So another thing we like to do on this podcast is ask our guests to pair their favorite theorem with something. So I, I'm curious, uh, what, what do you think pairs well with Tutta's theorem? Well, I was I was always thinking of already thinking of saran wrap and the hairdryer. But, uh. <laughs> no, I think that's perfect. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I tend also, I mean, not for Tutta's theorem, there I really think of saran wrap and a hairdryer, but uh, I, I, I also am using in, in some of the work in biology as well, uh, uh, what, what people call uh, diffusion, uh, uh, manifold learning through diffusion techniques. So the idea is if you have a complicated world where you have many instances and some of them are very similar, and, uh, and 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 others are similar to them, and so on and so. But after you've moved a uh, hundred steps away, things look not similar at all anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, and you'd like to learn the geometry of that whole collection. Right. Very often, it's given to you by zillions of parameters. I mean, like images. If you think of all the image, each pixel of the image as a variable, mm -hmm. then you live in thousands, millions of dimensions, and you know that the whole collection of images is not something that's Mm -hmm. fills that whole space. It's a very thin, wispy set in mm -hmm. there. And you'd like to learn its geometry because if you learn its geometry, then you can do much more with it. Mm -hmm. than you can, uh. So uh, one uh, tool that, that was uh, devised, I mean, uh, 10 years or so, it's not deep learning. It's, 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 uh, it's not as recent as that, but uh, is, is uh, manifold learning in which you say, well, in every neighborhood, I if I look at all the things that are very similar to me, then I have a little flat disk. It's, it's close enough to flat that I can really approach it as flat. Mm -hmm. And then elsewhere I have another flat one and so on. And I 
I have two mental images for that. I have one mental image is is is, is this whole kind of crochet thing, in mm -hmm. where you each one of it you you make with a crochet. You, you mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. But because you cover the whole thing with little doilies in a certain sense, you you can knit it together, and or crochet it together and get the more complex geometry. Another image that I often have is, is sequence. I mean, every little sequence is a little disc, mm -hmm. little, yeah. mm -hmm. little disc, but it can make this much more complex. Uh, so I have uh, many of my mental images and, and bearings, if you want, mm -hmm. are very hands-on crafty things. Uh, mm -hmm. do, I, do, do you knit and crochet yourself? Yes, I do. Yeah. I, I, and I like make thing, making things. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, yeah, uh, so so uh, I I use metaphors like that also a lot when I teach calculus. I mean, sure. uh, I uh, because it's kind of obvious. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I I I find I I use almost no sports metaphors. Sports metaphors are big in teaching mathematics, but I use much more handicraft. Yeah. <laughs> what else should we talk about? One thing actually uh, that I was saying I had such a lot of fun uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago when there was a celebration. The, the, the town in which I was born happens to have a fantastic uh, uh, new administrative building mm -hmm. in which they brought together uh, all different services that used to be in different buildings in the town. And the building is, is, was put together by fantastic architects. And uh, they, it feels very mathematical. Mm -hmm. And it, it has beautiful shapes, and, and uh, it's in a mining town. I'm from an, an, a coal mining town, and so they, they actually have two hyperboloid shapes that they use to bring lights down to, to lower floors mm. uh, that, remem that remind people of the uh, cooling towers of the coal mine, which oh, typically wow. have these hyperboloid shapes. So, so they have all these features in it that feel very mathematical. And uh, I said, I told the mayor, I said, look, I'll have this this uh, this group of mathematicians who are very, some of whom are very interested in outreach and education. We could, since there will be a party on Saturday and the conference only starts on Monday, we could on the Sunday have a brainstorming thing in which we try to design a clue finding search through the building. We design mm -hmm. mathematical little things in the mm -hmm. building mm -hmm. that fit with with with. The whole design of the building i said so you should have the interior designers as part of the workshop so that mm -hmm. we can interface with them and uh we just i have no idea what will come out but if something comes out then uh, uh we could find a little bit of money to realize it and that could be something that adds another feature to your building mm -hmm. and he loved the idea i was I, I thought he was going to be uh but he loved the idea he talked to the person who uh, runs the cafeteria in cooking a, a special meal for us so we had a tajin because he was uh, from morocco so he built he uh, we, we wanted just sandwiches but uh, this man mm -hmm. made this fantastic meal and we had a brainstorming we had a, a we, we toured the building in the morning and then in the afternoon we had a brainstorming with local high school teachers and mathematicians and so on, and we put them in three small groups, mm -hmm. and they came up with three completely different ideas, which all sound really interesting. And then one of them said, why don't we make it an activity that either a family could do one after the other, 
or a classroom could do and then you typically only have an hour an hour and a half mm -hmm. the class would be too big but you split the class into three groups mm -hmm. and each group does one of the activities and mm -hmm. they all have to find a clue and then by putting the clues together they get some kind of treasure oh wow and uh, so um so now uh after the ideas were great and so and they link completely different things i mean one is more dynamical systems one is is actually embodying some group and graph theory and and uh although we won't call it that but uh uh and it's uh what i like we did one of the goals was to find ideas that would require mathematical thinking but that were not linked to curriculum so where you, you need to start thinking about how would I even frame this? How would I even, and so on. And, and trying to give stepwise progression in the problems so that they wouldn't immediately have the full, complete, difficult thing, but would find ways of building tools that would get you there. And, and but it all, it, it really, they, they did excellent work. And so now each team has a, a group leader that over email, they will work out details. We have committed to in a year from now, having worked out all the details, the texts, and also put that the materials together that to, can actually be realized. I mean, that was the designer's part. I mean, can can we make something like that not too expensive? Mm -hmm. I said, oh yeah, with foam and, and fabric. And I know who would do that one. Mm -hmm. uh, so we'll see how it, a year from now, I will. I will see whether it all worked. So, will you come to Salt Lake next to do that? In my <laughs> you have a great building uh, in which it would work. I'm I mean, trying to. I like the idea of linking it to a building. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to have to think about that. And uh huh. Well, well, we have a brand new science museum here in Gainesville. Um, it's called uh -huh. the, it's called the Cade Museum. So, Dr. Cade is the man who invented Gatorade. You know the, yes. the sports drink. Yeah. Yep. Um, and his family got together and built oh, this wonderful new science museum. I haven't been yet. It just opened a couple of months ago. Oh, wow. Uh, so, okay. I'm, I'm going to walk in there thinking about this idea. Yeah. Well, and if, if, uh, if you happen to be in Belgium, uh, mm -hmm. uh, maybe I, I can, I can send you the, 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 okay. the, 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 the location of this building and you can, you can have a look there. Okay. Yeah. Sounds excellent. Well, this okay. has been great, Ingrid. We really appreciate you taking your time to, to, mm -hmm. to talk to mm -hmm. us today. Um, yeah. And, well, and thank you. We're we're really very honored. Um, so, and uh, well, it's 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 great to have this podcast. So, yeah, uh, yeah. the whole series. So, yeah, yeah, we're having a yeah, good time. We also want to thank our listeners for mm -hmm. listening to us for a year. I'm just going to assume that everyone has listened religiously to every single episode. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun to put this together for the past year and. Uh, Hope that there will be many more. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Good luck with that. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to My Favorite Theorem, hosted by Kevin Knudsen and Evelyn Lamb. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia, a percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Bao Chan Wen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpknewson.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at NivikNazdunk, that's Kevin spelled backwards, followed by Knudsen spelled backwards, and Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. 
show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M. That's at my favorite theorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics.